Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. What a blessing it is to be in the house of God and to feel His presence. Amen. I want to turn your attention tonight to the book of Luke. I thank you for your indulgence during the last many weeks as we worked through our series on the oneness of God. For those that have not finished the last few chapters, many of you, if you have not finished the last few chapters, they deal with uh, the historical elements of early oneness believers and Trinitarian evolution And so we encourage you to do that on your own. I want to thank Brother Turner, who taught so wonderfully last Wednesday night. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I want to say I honor this church again. I said this on Sunday, but I want to say again tonight that I honor you and thank you when you allow me the opportunity to travel and preach at these conferences and try to be a blessing in other areas, recognizing that uh, and supporting so many even that just reach out and say we were praying for you. Uh, That means a lot, and I I honor you, and I thank you for that. Uh, We're starting a new new series here tonight. It's September. Is that shocking to anybody? Wow, wow. Um, But how many are ready for fall? You're just ready? Some of you are ready for pumpkin spice everything. Um, Some of you are carried away with pumpkin spice. I'm just going to tell you. But we're uh, ready for, I am going to be honest, I'm okay with no 100 degree days anymore. Uh, some of the girls that endured a little AC outage are glad that <sighs> the AC is working thanks to the incredible team and all the hard work that they did to get that going behind the scenes, working so hard. We honor them. Amen. So as has been mentioned as this church has been praying and been so supportive uh, of the upcoming change with Sunday morning, the two services, you have two different times and options, 9.30 and 11.30. Uh, I want to just maybe echo what was said a few moments ago, that you would be praying, that you would be fasting with us, and that we would fill both boats as we preached about here on Sunday. One of my favorite interactions was with this incredible, I, he would be okay with this. We, we've developed a little bit of a friendship. He's just an incredible Baptist gentleman um, that anytime he can, he drives all the way to Indianapolis to come to Calvary. He told me on Sunday, he said, I told my pastor, if I lived in Indy, you wouldn't be my pastor. <laughs> I said, well, I'd like to meet him. I, I'd like, I'd like to, he was very, but you know what? You know what he told me at the door Sunday? Tears started flowing down his cheeks, standing there with his family. He looked at me, Brother Butler, and he said, here's what I know. You're going to fill both boats here in Indianapolis. And I, I, you know what? I I received that, and I thank God for that. You know why? There's a lot of souls in Indianapolis. And I, I cannot overstate how much I commend this church. Now, when we get into This format, you won't hear us saying, well, in the next service or in the earlier service, we're not going to use that language. Whichever service you're at, we're just going to have church. And if you're here for both, just going to have church. Now, if you're here in the second service and you heard me preach the first service, you just got amen like you never heard that. And the way I preach, there's a good chance you may have never heard that. So uh, (laughs) some get that more than others. Um, Luke. 16. I'm going to do something very dangerous tonight. Wow. Wow. Last time I started on this journey, I used a giant elephant. Some of you remember. I heard a couple people in the room. Oh, money. Oh, finances. Yeah, about a year and a half or so ago, we did a series on finances and the Lord has been dealing with me this year getting into the start of the fall and so we're going to start a three-week series in the month of September so 
This Wednesday, next Wednesday, the third Wednesday will be our general conference where we won't have service. We're encouraging everyone that can, please try to attend. And then on that final Wednesday in September, we will come back with the third part of this series. But I want to read verses 1 through 12 of Luke chapter 16. We're reading here about the shrewd manager, um, unjust steward, and some of your Bibles it would say. It's a very unique, very unique story, but it houses some great principles. He said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. Everyone say wasted. He called him and said unto him, how is it that I hear this? Of thee, give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. He said, you're losing your job, basically, is what he told him. Then the steward said within himself, what shall I do for my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship? I, I can't dig and to beg, I would be ashamed. I'm resolved what to do, that when I'm put out of the stewardship, that uh, they may receive me into their houses. He said, I'm going to come up with a plan here for the fact if I'm good to people, then maybe they'll let me stay with them when I am homeless because I don't have a job. So obviously he wasn't preparing to be without a job either. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and he said unto the first, how much owest thou my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said, okay, uh, take out your bill, sit down real quick. And from today forward, you just owe 50, write down 50. The guy kind of probably looked at him and thought, okay, okay. Writes down 50 instead of 100. Then said he to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, and 100 measures of wheat. And he said, take your bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commanded the, the just steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. We're gonna make sense of this here in a minute. So, And I say unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of the unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another's man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Now, here's the more familiar verse for many people. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Okay? I'm going to teach tonight. I'm going to teach for three weeks this month, and I'm going to ask you to not skip Wednesday nights after we start tonight, because we're going to talk about the fact that money matters. Money matters, but it doesn't matter the way the world thinks it matters. It matters the way that the scripture says that it matters, and I want him to know that he can trust me with the money that he entrusts to me. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our time in your house. These are great people that are here on a Wednesday night. So many of them have worked hard all day long, and they've still, they've still been faithful. They've got their self together to the best of their ability. They've tried to scarf down some dinner. Some have come straight from work, and they've made it to your house. Help me to speak in a way that is uh, palatable, something that can be received, something that's clear from your word. Help us to grow because of our time in your word tonight. We're asking it in the name of Jesus Christ. And let everyone say amen. amen. When you're seated, look at your neighbor. Just kind of give them a little smile and tell them, you know your money matters. <laughs> see, if you can finish this, see if you can finish this statement with me. Put your money. <laughs> the Bible says it'll be where your heart is. So I want to make sure I'm putting it where my mouth is because the entire start of our worship service tonight has been about worshiping the Lord. Worshiping the Lord has to transition beyond just my mouth, but it has to get my mind, it has to get my heart, and one of the things that has to happen is it has to get my finances. So 
Let's talk about this unrighteous mammon. The word mammon is from the Aramaic word mammon, originally meaning one or that in which one puts trust, hence wealth. How many know that it's always been a problem that people put their trust in the riches of the world? Riches promise much, Clark wrote, and perform nothing. They excite hope and confidence, and they deceive both. In making a man depend on them for happiness, they rob him of the salvation of God and eternal glory. Ladies and gentlemen, regardless of what any religious thought may try to make people believe, you cannot buy your way into heaven. And you cannot spend enough to excuse sin. Amen. I want to talk here about Luke 16. This is this, um, this steward here that doesn't get a tremendous amount of, of airtime, the shrewd steward. We usually jump over him because it's a little bit interesting. It almost seems like Jesus is praising the guy's dishonesty, but that's not what he is doing at all. He's qualifying that this man's shrewdness utilized for personal gain uh, and when he is speaking to the Pharisees. You can learn from anybody if you ask the right questions. How many have ever learned from some people what not to do? <laughs> An evangelist called me one time and said, you won't believe where I'm staying. You won't believe where I'm at, what I'm dealing with in this church. And I said, I used that same line that was told to me many, many, many years ago. I had this one experience. I've probably never told this, but this would be good for any of our young ministers that are here. I was, I was traveling. I was preaching for this church. I, I got to be honest, Brother Gallion, in, in those years, I couldn't believe anybody would even let me preach, much less the thought that they would give me a check. First time I ever got paid to preach a message, I thought I, thought I should pay you. And if you'd have heard the message, you'd have thought the same. But, but I, was, I, I was young as an evangelist and I was staying. But I've got to tell you, um, it was not a hotel that they put me in. It was a motel. And there's a difference. And so I slept there with critters and such. Come on now. But the funniest part of this is I have this vivid, vivid memory of being there in this motel and there was a brand new, beautiful hotel right across the interstate. I have this, I have this memory of going to the window and putting, putting my hands on the window and looking towards the promised land. And I remember telling that story to someone else. And they told me what I then told this young evangelist at this point. Sometimes you learn how to treat people. And sometimes you're learning how not to treat people. How to deal. Now, you say, maybe that's all they had to give. And I was glad to be there. I'm not, I'm not complaining, but I'm complaining a little. Um, <laughs> who is Jesus talking to here in Luke chapter 16? He's telling this to the Pharisees, these religious leaders. And here's the characteristics of a Pharisee. They're incredibly arrogant. They're prideful. They're self-righteous. They're judgmental. They're demanding. They're demeaning. They, at times, it seems like they don't even really like people. The number one characteristic of a Pharisee, as written by one individual, is that they are hypocrites. They say one thing and believe something else. And we even have the Lord in his speaking to them as such as hypocrites. And, and um, I want to tell you the Pharisees loved money. I'll never forget early uh, also in my ministry when I had made my decision. I've told some of you this and I had made my, my decision. They called me. I had decided to be a youth pastor. I, I had agreed to that. I was going to do it. It's going to be a youth pastor. Um, I had been at IBC for a little while. I thought I was ready. I was not ready. I should have stayed the four years. That's just a little plug. Um, but I, I went and I became a youth pastor and I was there and they called and offered me a job in Illinois. They offered me a job. I come from a family 
uh, that's in a particular industry in welding and pipe fitting and uh, in this company. They, they called and they offered me a job. I'll never forget this. This job was going to be great pay, especially for me as a young guy. It was going to quadruple my salary right off the bat. If I would just say yes. And I said, no, I don't think so. I told him no. I said, I've got to be able to sleep at night. When I turned it down, one of the people in my life at that moment said, you're not making any sense. Don't you know money makes the world go round? To which I replied, no, God makes the world go round. God makes the world go round. And I've got to be true to the call of God. And here I am 20-some years later, and I can tell you this. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. If you trust in God, God can, hmm, he can work through you. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been some lean times, but I'd rather be lean with God than rich without him. Uh-huh. And so when it comes to this love of money, the things that most people think matter, God has a different way of looking at them. It is countercultural to our world. What, what do most people think matter? I referenced a book here uh, maybe two months ago by Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And some people went and grabbed that book and then had sideline conversations with me. And they're like, thanks a lot for that. Because it's a real evaluation when you start looking at it. But in this world, possessions and pleasure and power and prestige, things that they are trying to sell, salary, uh, um, the lust and the power. And I'm going to tie most of it to one word that starts with a G and ends with read. Greed's a real problem, ladies and gentlemen. And it is defining people. It always has. And it still is, and I believe that it will until the Lord returns. But Jesus is dealing here, talking to people that love money about the love of money. And he is dealing with them from this particular story about the way that this shrewd uh, steward has gone about working. And he's really taking a little jab uh, against the way these religious leaders are working. There's, there's some things to be gleaned. And that's what we want to focus in on here tonight, okay? Dave, Dave Ramsey is a name from, for many of us that are, are familiar and I'm, I'm, not sure how many have been through the Dave Ramsey method or some other method of trying to honor God with your finances or trying to budget. Um, I, I want to maybe just remind everybody in here tonight, if you're not a wise steward of God's money, it will manage you if you don't manage it. It's just the truth. But Dave Ramsey has a quote that says money is not good or evil. It has no morals or intentions on its own. Money reflects the character of the user. Whew. It's a strong statement. That's so strong, we better get that off the screen. That's so strong. So I want to start tonight here. I want to talk about what not to do with money as believers. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you believe in the Word of God. All right, so here's what we should not do with our money as believers. Number one, don't waste it. How many knows our kids don't understand this? Daddy, I want a candy bar. Daddy, I want a candy bar. Daddy, I want a candy bar. You never want to take your kid through the checkout lane. I want some gum. Can I have some gum? Can I have some gum? Maybe we could get some gum. Maybe you could stay in the car. <laughs> Don't waste money. Some of you in here, you know we've just come through the fair, and I want to be very careful, our very own Brother Allison and all the work that he does at the fair. But some of you are the people at the fair that you have to play the game. You have to shoot the baskets. Because if you don't shoot the baskets, you cannot get that oversized What are you going to do without that gorilla? (laughs) 
It's not really about that as much as it is just the ego of winning, right? Our kids will burn through some money, and I've been guilty before on more than one occasion, but I don't want to waste it. The manager was accused of wasting his master's possession, and I want to start here by saying we have to remind ourselves if it's ours or God's. When I consider the source, I'll consider whether or not I'm wasting it. If it's my money and I waste it, who cares? But if it's the blessing of God, all of a sudden I have to put some ownership there. I don't want to waste what God has given me. Do you recognize here tonight that half of all the parables that Jesus told her about money? In the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses is about money and money management. Jesus actually talked more about money than he did heaven or hell. You know why? He knew the way we treat money is tied to it. It's hard to get to an eternity of glory if we are not concerned. We do a lot of future talk. But if we're not focused in on our present living, how many know that if we can't get this vapor right, feel a little bit of resistance in the room. If we, can't get our, if we can't get this right right now, then I don't know why we would think that we could be qualified. There's a grace in how to treat our money. There is a grace. Not everybody in the room is a math person. Some pe <laughs> I felt a little shiver go through the room. If you're a math person, you just know you're good with numbers, brag on yourself and raise your hand. Well, I'm asking you to, so you're not being. Okay, that means we have a very small fraction of math people. That means for the rest of us in this room, we got to really work at how it works. Probably a lot of the same people that just raised their hand are the same people that on their phone have some kind of a budgeting tool that tells them where every dollar is going. There's a bunch of us in this room that, that when there's no money in the account, you're like, how? I don't even know where it went. Have you seen my new shoes? <laughs> there's this crazy little word called budget. Okay. Budget helps me to not waste it. I want to tell every college student, but also every adult in the room, if your annual new shoe budget is bigger than your annual missions giving, you have a heart issue. You do. You have a heart issue. Say, Pastor, that's really tough for a Wednesday night. Well, we're only here for like 20 more minutes. So. <laughs> but from these eternal truths, I've got to not waste God's money. And I'll be honest, I, I hope you have the nicest shoes in the whole building. I, I hope, I hope you, good for you. If you're one of those, well, I don't even want to get into that. But good for you. But I will tell you this, I don't ever want my eyes to get off of a mission investment. I want to have the kind of giving to the kingdom that proves it's about advancing the kingdom of God. So I can't waste it. Everybody say, don't waste it. Number two, don't let this one shock you. Don't love it. Don't love money. Because if you love it, you'll start living for it. No servant can serve two masters, either going to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon or that which you would put your trust in. You can't have a love for money. And, and that love of money becomes that root of evil. It's, it's impossible to live with a divided allegiance. And I can feel some of you in the room, you're like, Pastor, I know this. I, I get this. I, I, I give this. But how many know we live in a world that is constantly trying to plunge us back into this love of money? And I'm, I'm tasked tonight to say, if we love the kingdom, we will be apt to invest in it. Number three, 
Don't trust it. <laughs> Don't trust in money for security. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word, you, you, there's, there's going to be some unsettled. I don't even want to pull the crowd on who's lost money in the market. Oh, I've had some of the worst, most sorrowful meetings with people over the years where they gave their money to someone that invested it for them and lost their entire retirement. Because the kingdoms of this world fail. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind us here tonight, there is only one unwavering kingdom that even the gates of hell will not prevail against. I need some elders that still believe with me. You cannot outgive God. There is an investment that is a sure thing. You say, Pastor, are you taking up an offering? Not at all. I'm not taking up an offering, but I know that this is about the time of year that people start buying stuff for Christmas season that they can't afford now. We have people that spend the whole next year trying to get out of credit for things that people were kind of happy about when they opened it. I don't know what I would have done without this sweater. Thank you. You ever give someone a gift and their expression is not good enough? You want to take the gift back? Come on, you know who you are. If you don't like it, just give me the gift back right now. Just give me the gift. I should have I knit you something. <laughs> don't love it. Don't trust it. Don't trust it for security. I don't care how much money you've got. You can lose it. And here we are in Luke 16, verse 3. What am I going to do? I'm, I'm losing my job. And he's losing his job. And obviously, he had not made preparations, okay? But if you want to be really secure, the center of your life has to be built around something that can never be taken from you. Proverbs 23 says it this way. Your money can be gone in a moment as if it's grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Your money can be gone. But I'm going to tell you what people cannot take from you is in when you've got a good grip on the kingdom of God. And I will say this, people that have firm kingdom principles in place have a tendency to treat their money differently. We don't gamble our money away. I'm going to say a few things I hope you'll say amen to. We don't gamble our money away. We don't gamble our money away on scratch-offs. We don't gamble our money away on internet poker. We don't gamble our money away throwing our money away. We don't, we don't throw our kids' college tuition away on frivolous things today. The Bible has a little something to say about not just for your children, but your children's children in the investment. This isn't whether or not you come from a rich family, whether or not you have a great job. It's just how you treat your finances. Amen? So we don't, we don't treat it frivolously. We don't gamble it away. How about this? We don't drink it away. We don't drink it away. I'm going to say something. I went to the young adults and, and for the young adults and the young marrieds that are in class, but they're going to listen to this podcast later. There are a lot in the younger generation, and since college students are in here, it might apply to you. Many of you could live and give much better if you would eat out less often. Some of the elders in this room, I see you shaking their head like, yeah, every time I talk to them, they're at a restaurant. Every time you're there, you want one simple trick? How about quit getting Coke at a restaurant? You're paying $3 for 10 cents worth of material. Sorry, is that too practical? It's just about, it's just about wasting money. And if we're not careful, we'll give 10 to $15 a week to Starbucks and won't put a five in the offering. It's just the way, it's the culture that we're immersed in. Say, so here we are, we're, we're pastors, wanting, pastors wanting money, pastors, not at all. You walk out, that's between you and God. I won't look at it, but God will. I won't even notice, but it is my job to remind us here tonight the way we treat money, the way that we treat. When God sees us, college students, listen to me right now. When you can go to Starbucks every single day, but you're late on your bill all the time. It's the kind of things that are just principles. Sister Gail wanted me to say something like that. I think it was. Is that right? Is that what you? Basic truths. Don't, don't go broke trying to go out to eat at places that you've got no business. 
Let's come on. Some of y'all need a value meal. It's a value. Want to go to a steakhouse. I want to I let everybody off the hook here tonight. If they're going to a restaurant you can't afford, just be honest. Just tell them you can't afford it. I don't want to be embarrassed. It's going to be more embarrassing when the bill comes. <laughs> when you're doing this. I, I, took a, <laughs> I took a young guy out to eat one time, and when the bill came, he checked places. There's no way his wallet could have been. There's... Head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I started laughing. I said, you can't find your wallet. You can't find it. I don't know what. I said, I was going to pay for it anyway. But I appreciated whatever that was. That was. <laughs> but you'll spend money unwisely if your security is more in your appearance than in his kingdom. You'll spend your money unwise. Mm. If your security is more about your job than it is about his kingdom, if it's more about how much money's in your account than it is about his kingdom, I promise you this, you make it about his kingdom, there will be money in your account. It's just a biblical principle. It's the way it works. Number four, don't expect it to satisfy. Somebody asked Howard Hughes, how, how much does it take to make a man really happy? How much money does it take to make a man happy? His answer was simple, just a little bit more. Whatever you got, just a little bit more. You watch, you finally afford that house, you'll start noticing the house one category up. You finally get that vehicle, give it just a little bit of time. How many know the new car smell wears off in every car? But it can't be about those possessions, it can't be about those things because money does not satisfy. Whoever loves money will never have enough. The one who loves wealth, according to Ecclesiastes 5, will never be satisfied. Luke 12 says, guard against greed. Your, your life is not measured by what you own, those things which you possess. That's not what it's about. So I want to say this, and I, I, those that are note takers in the room might want to write this down tonight. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. Your self-worth has no connection to your net worth. And your valuables do not determine your value. That's why when it comes to the church, we don't have big eyes and little U's. That's why if you wear a if you, if you wear a, a, a golf shirt, you're just as valuable as somebody with a three-piece suit. It's not about that. If you pull up in a broken-down vehicle, you are no less valuable in the kingdom of God than somebody who pulls in in a brand-new vehicle. Name brands excluded. So there are some things that we have to consider every single day. You doing Okay. Number one, for everyday consideration, it all belongs to God. Ladies and gentlemen, we were taught this as, a, as, as children. He's got the whole world in his hands. And I remind us that the whole universe belongs to God. I belong to God. You belong to God. And I want to I present a concept here tonight that I believe about my finances. I believe this about my home. I believe this about my vehicles. Everything I have is really on loan from God. That's why when we talk, we talk a lot and we're used to this in the church setting that we should honor God in our home. But when we really believe the principle that it's his home anyway, we will want to honor God in our home. That's one of the greatest misconceptions that ever entered the houses of believers. In the building and the sanctity of the church house, people thought they would honor the church house but not their personal address. And so they would act one way at church and one way at home. But in the home of a believer, for those of us that believe that every good gift and every perfect gift is from him, then we want to treat our home as a place where he is honored. Amen? Whether you recognize this or not, every person in this room is a manager. Regardless of your personality, regardless of your job title, you have been trusted as God 
as a manager in your life. Everything we have being a gift from God. The Bible tells us the owner enlisted a manager to take care of his property. And so my question for myself that I also ask for you is how am I doing? How are you doing at taking care of God's property? How are we doing? Because ladies and gentlemen, one day there's going to be an audit on our life. There will be an account that must be given. What did we do with what we were given? You've heard it in the parable of the talents. Many of you in the room are business owners. You understand the accounting and the auditing. There, um, there was a very popular, popular show that came out a number of years ago. It started making uh, clips on news and, and gained a lot of traction where they were going up and they were using this hidden camera system. The owners of the business were watching um, and the area said under surveillance and they were using hidden cameras to see how people were treating their business. Now, there were instances where it was amazing and these employees were treating it with such reverence and respect and, and, and these owners were praising. But many in, in here, you have seen clips where it was someone who was degrading or even maybe taking money out of the register and putting into their pocket. There were several different instances where a employee was taking money and putting part in but keeping part for themselves and caught on camera an instance after instance where an owner would then speak to that employee about the way that they were managing. I remind us here tonight that God is watching the way that I treat. He is watching the way that you treat. He is watching the way that we treat what he has entrusted us with. And I want him to be able to say, well done. Well done. What are you doing, he might ask, with the mind that I gave you, with the health that I gave you, with the freedom that I gave you? Number two, in this portion of daily considerations, money is an easy test between myself and God. <laughs> it shows what I love the most. One man wrote it this way, you spell love, G-I-V-E. For God so loved the world that he gave. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 tell us that you shouldn't store up treasure here on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. So it shows what I love. It also shows what I trust. Since I told you in the first part that we shouldn't put our trust in it, Proverbs 11 and 28, if you trust your money, you're gonna fail. You're gonna fall, but if you trust in God, you will flourish. How many in here would like to flourish? I would. I'd like to flourish, and I'd like you to flourish. I'd like for you to flourish because I want his kingdom to flourish. I've taught here before and I teach it again here tonight since we're starting this series on money that it's amazing in the principles of God that God cannot put into a closed hand. We've got to be very careful that we don't take the ideology of the world and we cling and we grip and we hold. That's not how it works. Whatever God puts in my hand, he also has the right to take out. Because if you watch and you read through the economy of God, especially in the way that we typically preach in our style of preaching, we like to talk about when he takes uh, our mourning and when he takes our sadness because of what he replaces it with. But we have to keep that hand open on everything, not just the things we don't want. Not just the things we don't want, but even the things that we do. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. <clears throat> Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. There is a direct connection between maturity and money. How many remember when you started treating money differently? Most of us can remember when we started treating our finances differently, our money differently. There's a direct connection between spiritual power and how I handle 
possessions. There's a direct connection between God's blessing in my life and what I do with my finances. And it's all based on how I trust him. Number three, money is a tool to be used intentionally for God's purpose. As I mentioned earlier, money being neither good nor bad, right nor wrong, being there, but it's the character of the individual that is often revealed. Money is there for us to use it, not to hoard it. And I will tell you there's a difference between investing and hoarding. We're not simply to stockpile it. We're supposed to worship it. We're supposed to make our finances work. I heard it said that money is like manure. (laughs) Spread it around, it makes things grow. Pile it up, it starts stinking. (laughs) Some of you didn't like that. Some of you really did. Luke 16 is talking about the use of worldly wealth in verse 9. The problem is people have a tendency to get it reversed. When you start loving money, you can start using people. I've lost track of my conversations and counseling over the year of how many were frustrated and hated their job. And the truth is, they didn't hate the task of their job. They hated the way they were treated at their job because they were simply another cog in the corporate wheel. And when people stop having souls because money started having one, When you start valuing money over souls, you're in a dangerous place. I don't want to be that way, and you don't either, but I want to see how that money is used as an intentional tool. And in verse 3, he looked ahead. He looked ahead. A wise man, 14, of Proverbs in the 8th verse reminds us that a wise man looks ahead. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to look forward. I meet with every... Every individual in my age class below and above, and one of my initial conversations is about retirement. And I understand that some people think, well, we don't need to plan for retirement because the rapture is going to take place. Well, I'm also the guy that's had to help a lot of people over the last 15 years because the rapture hadn't taken place. Is that too strong? It's just me being honest. We've got to plan. We need to live like he's coming tomorrow, but we need to plan like he's not coming for the next 50 years. We need to plan. We need to plan. We need to look ahead. I want to be ready if Brother John, if he splits the eastern sky and comes for us tonight, I want to be ready. But if he doesn't come for the next 50 years or 100 years, I want to treat my money and my finances appropriate so that my kids have learned and so that hopefully it's set a trajectory for my grandkids to know. We didn't chase money, we chased God. We didn't pursue money, we pursued God. But because we pursued his kingdom, it affected our finances. Is this, I hope this isn't uncomfortable here tonight. I hope talking about finances is not uncomfortable. Nobody in the room can remember the last time we passed a plate. I told somebody we didn't pass plates and they almost fell out. How do you, how do you survive? The, the people give. Begging for money, listen, begging for money is not a kingdom principle. Begging for money, but teaching that it's his money anyway is a critical biblical principle. It's his money anyway. It's his money anyway. And so we have to give it, and therefore we have to look ahead. We have to plan. Which means, since only about seven people in the room raised their hands about math, this is going to be a real lightning bulb for some people. Money is math. Oh. That's why you're broke. All oh, that, that's it. We cannot, ladies and gentlemen, be planning for the future if we're buying on credit that we really don't have. That we really don't have. And so, in order to look forward, he made a plan. Verse four. Now, this was the 
dishonest steward, but he made a plan. And I don't want it to be said about the church, especially in this hour, that the world is more intentional with the way they're using their money than the church is. Can I tell you right now that, okay, I'm done anyway, so if I get excited, whatever. It frustrates me to no end, Brother Coogan, that the kingdoms of this world are stockpiling money to build buildings and kingdoms of sinfulness and debauchery. They're saving, they're putting their money together, they're working everything they've got to open up new bars and nightclubs. God help us to not be outplanned and outprotected by the works of darkness. I want to put every effort I have into saying if he said that even the gates of hell standing at Caesarea Philippi where all those idols had been worshipped, if he could say even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, then I want to get in line in my stewardship with that kingdom. I want to give him my talents. I want to give him my ability. I want to give him, but I also want to give him my finances and I want to let him know I'm planning. I'm intentionally planning forward for my family, but I'm planning forward the kingdom as a part of that priority. There's nobody, I don't believe there's anybody in this room that would say you don't want your family to be financially blessed as also being a part of the kingdom of God. There was a day and age where the teaching was for you to be a believer, you had to be poor. I don't believe that. But I do think we should be poor in spirit. I think we should be humble. I think we should know he's the gift giver. But to those who use well, according to Matthew 25, to those who use well, what they're given, even more is given to them. They'll have it in abundance. And I end with this in verses 5 and 6 of this unique story of Luke 16. He acted quickly. He did not wait to begin planning. I'm speaking to somebody here on this first night. I'll try to give you some great practicality over the next couple of sessions in the ways that we can do this, biblically mixed with practicality. But for some people in this room, you have put off starting retirement too long. Because you say you can't afford it. Every college kid in the room, please hear me. If you would start retirement when you're ending college at the age of 21, the numbers are absolutely staggering. Any financial people in the room want to help me out right now? You, you know it's staggering. But to the 40-year-old in this room that has not started and you think you've waited too late, you need to start this week. Every person in this room, you say, well, I'm 50 or I'm 60 or I'm, Pastor Carson, this doesn't apply to me because of, uh, I'm on Social Security. I've already retired the principle of how we invest in the kingdom affects every person in this room. Every person from a college age to the elder, the oldest elder that's in this room right now, it affects every one of us because here's what the enemy wants to do. For those of us that, that have the opportunity to give, he wants to make us think because there can be this, well, I'm planning for my future, so maybe I shouldn't invest in the kingdom of God and, or, or, or where, can, and so he'll want to use money to cripple us with fear. There's a lot of layers to this in the way we give. And so here's the way we're going to pray as we conclude this tonight. God, help me make practical steps with kingdom-mindedness. Practical steps with kingdom-mindedness. Why? Money matters. Ladies and gentlemen, money matters. Hmm. Pastor, Bo Pastor Carson, are you sure... Here tonight that, that you want to uh, talk to us about money right before we go to two services, <laughs> this might not be the best topic. Well, I think we're at a place as a church where we're trying to focus like never before. It's about his kingdom, not ours. It's about souls and reaching this city. So I want you right where you're seated before we stand, I want you to slip your hands towards him.
And I want somebody to just begin to tell him these words. I want my finances to be about your kingdom. I want my money. Somebody allow a little introspection there right, right now. God. God, will you just help evaluate me right now? God, I. I mm. Take a look at my heart. Take a look at my mind. I want to be about your kingdom. I don't want my life to be about keeping up with the Joneses. I don't want, my, I don't want the way I treat my finances. I don't want the way I treat my money. I don't want it to be based on a world standard. I, I, wanna, I wanna plan with wisdom, but I wanna, I wanna be kingdom-minded, so I need your help on how to balance this, how to be a wise steward of this. I know you taught me with the talents that where and how and what I do to invest matters. The parable of the talents, as I close here tonight, the parable... Of the talents, there was one, one that was hidden while the rest were invested. How many remember that? The one that hid the talent. He said, I knew you were, I knew you were tough. I knew you were a tough master. So I hid it. But if you do, go and do the cultural study of the day, many people hid their money. They hid their money because they did not trust to invest. They did not trust the financial systems. And so they hid it. And really what Jesus was dealing with in the parable of the talents was a word called trust. You might not trust in the, kingdom of the kingdoms of the world and the banks and the things like, I understand that. But ladies and gentlemen, we can trust in the kingdom of God. And we can trust him with our finances. If I can trust him with my soul, I better be able to trust him with my money. Stand with me all over this house and just begin to give the Lord thanks that he's going to help us. Come on, that he's going to help us. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're going to help us, Lord. Thank you for helping us with our money, with our finances, with our investment. From the from the richest to the poorest, God, help us everyone to have trust in you. Trust in you. Trust in you. We give you thanks. We give you praise.